Hey, everybody. Welcome to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer, joined today by Josh Norris to break down the White Sox system. Josh, the White Sox were in a really interesting place. They suffered their seventh straight losing season last year. However, they had a 10-win improvement from 2018. A lot of young talent started to break through. We saw Lucas Giolito really ascend to the role of a front-of-the-rotation starter. Eloy Jimenez put together a 30-home run season as a rookie despite missing a lot of the year with injury. Yohan Moncada and Tim Anderson took huge steps forward. And now we've seen the White Sox really kind of stock up. They re-signed Jose Abreu. They brought in Yasmani Grandal and Edwin Encarnacion as free agents. They traded for Nomar Mazzara. And that was just on the offensive side. Pitching staff, they signed Dallas Keuchel. They signed Gio Gonzalez. They signed Steve Ciszek, uh to help out in the bullpen. The White Sox are loading up, and uh, it seems like they're poised to end this run of losing seasons. When you kind of assess the organization and where it is now, uh, both just with the young major leaguers they have as well as the upper-level farm system talent they have, are the White Sox ready to pop? Because it feels like now, you know, they're entering the 2020s, kind of the time to strike. Yeah, I mean, they're on the upswing. There's no doubt about it. I'm really not breaking any news there. But, you know, Moncada uh, started living up to his potential. Tim Anderson started living up to his. Giolito uh, made apparently the greatest mechanical change in the history of man and went from uh, essentially worst to first. They started signing complimentary players like Dallas Keuchel and Gio Gonzalez. To trade for Nomar Mazzara, and they're going to add. They've got you know Eloy Jimenez, who looked great in year one. They're going to add an electric prospect in Luis Robert. They've got a lot of things that look like it's, they're going to go right for them. So even if they don't make the playoffs this year, uh, I expect them to come darn close. There's no question there should be an opportunity. Uh, you know, the Indians took a little bit of a step back last year. They've traded Corey Kluber. We'll see how that affects them. The Twins obviously had a fantastic year last year. They're the defending champs. You have to tip your cap to them. And they certainly have not taken a step back going out and adding a guy like Josh Donaldson. Uh, but the White Sox should be competitive. I think it's fair to say this is a team that should at the very least post its first winning season since 2012. That was the last time they had a winning season. They went 85 and 77 maybe even crawl into second place, finish third last year, and maybe they can take a step up. With the White Sox, a big part of that is going to be continuing to debut their young talent. Luis Robert is next in line. Uh, he's a top five prospect, consensus top five prospect in baseball, uh, was our runner-up for BA Minor League Player of the Year last year. He signed a six-year, $50 million contract extension this offseason before ever playing a game, just like the White Sox did with Eloy Jimenez last year. He should open on their opening day roster and really be their center fielder from day one. Josh, in your discussions with evaluators, how good can Luis Robert be? I mean, he could be a face of the franchise, quite frankly. And I, with tool grades, you've got double plus power, double plus run, double plus arm, plus field, above average hit. I mean, that's an all-star 10 times over. That's a guy who's going to be on billboards, who's going to be, you know, in, in the center of every good thing that happens to this franchise from now until he retires. He should be, he's, he's going to be a top five prospect in baseball and he really deserves it. He is the single toolsiest player in the minors, although he probably won't play a game in the minors this year, et cetera. He's, the, he's La Pantera, and he's that for a reason. One of the things with Luis Robert, and we have to keep in mind every single prospect, heck, every single big leaguer has you know, a flaw, a knock, unless your name is Mike Trout. 
Um, with Luis Robert, one of the things that has come into question with him a little bit is there's a lot of swing and miss to his game, whether in the form of strikeouts or just swinging and missing through some hitable pitches to get into unfavorable counts and then having to kind of work his way out of there and sometimes swinging at you know, pitcher's pitches as opposed to something he can really drive. Even with that, he's performed all the way up the minors, jumped from high to AAA last year. Just in, the, in your discussions, how much concern was there that the swing and miss once he gets to the majors might be exposed? And overall, what kind of adjustment period is there going to be? I mean, I think there will be a little adjustment period simply because it's the major leagues and he is a prospect first. But I don't think it's going to be a roadblock to anything. Um, there's a lot of swing and miss in the majors right now. I mean, some of the best players strike out 150, 200 times a year. That's fine. Uh, the question, the miss hits, I mean, dude hit 453 at Winston-Salem, 314 at Birmingham, 297 at Charlotte, hit 30, 30, 30 bombs, 30 stolen bases. Uh, did everything you want to do. Uh, if there are a few miss hits in there, that's fine. He's also strong enough where some of those miss hits can become base hits or uh, bloop doubles or maybe even pop-ups that go over the wall. He's, yeah, he's got everything you'd want. Uh, he's a gem of a prospect and was one of the easier calls for a number one prospect. Actually, I had four systems with pretty easy calls as number one prospects, quite frankly. Yeah, you know, one of the things that stands out to me was the falling two years ago. There were a lot of swings he was taking where he was off balance, getting caught out front, but he was strong enough to still drive it on a line into the outfield. And the other thing that really stood out to me is his baseball instincts. So many of the young, you know, physically gifted prospects we see, it takes time to develop some of those instinctual things. I remember him beating out a ground ball that should have been a routine out, beat it out for an infield single, stole second, and then on a deep fly ball to center field, tagged up from second to third, realized the shortstop was uh, taking his time, getting the relay throw in. It was pretty deep out into, uh, into the shallow left center field. Turned on the Jets when he hit third and uh, came home. So he took two bases on one sacrifice fly. Again, just effort, the instincts. It seems like it's all there for a potential franchise player. And thus, he was an uh, easy call at number one. Number two is where this system gets interesting to me just in terms of sorting the talent. Uh, you had two interesting and very different prospects. Uh, really, you could argue three with Andrew Vaughn, Michael Kopech, and Nick Madrigal. I feel safe to say this was tier two, these three guys in the system. How did you sort them out? And ultimately, what made Andrew Vaughn the number two prospect ahead of those other two guys? Just because of the uncertain, the slight uncertainty for Kopech coming off Tommy John surgery. That's, that's really all it was. Vaughn was, you know, the number what was it, three, four pick of the draft last year. Three. He, three pick of the draft last year. He had, you know, plus or better uh, grades on his hitting and power. We settled in with projection future plus on both. Um, he's as was as pure uh, or polished a hitter as, as was available in the draft and should move fairly quickly, especially now that this is going to be, he's going to have an off season and he's going to either go back to Winston-Salem or jump to, uh, to Birmingham this year. This is a guy who should fit eventually into the White Sox uh, desired mold of young uh, stars pretty much at every position with Jimenez, Robert, uh, hopefully Madrigal, Anderson, Moncada, uh, guys like that. It's a really enviable situation the White Sox have put themselves in. They've executed this plan really well. And Kopech should, uh, you know, reassert himself at some point this year, depending on how the, the rehab goes. But he should be a very good piece of that rotation too. 
Yeah, with Kopech, uh, he had Tommy John surgery at the end of 2018. He is expected to be ready here for the start of the 2020 season. If he was fully healthy, would he have been number two on a talent basis purely? Is he a clear number two with Vaughn, or is Vaughn even that level of position player with full health? It still would have been a close call. I mean, I hate, I hate to not answer that question, but I can only consider the player in front of me. And I had, the, I had a player rehabbing from Tommy John in front of me. So I, I, didn't, I don't like to deal in hypotheticals like that. So I was dealing with a guy who was coming back from TJ, and that's how I ranked them. Very, very fair. Yeah, Vaughn was interesting. Uh, I got to look at him during Team USA uh, Olympic qualifying, kind of, you know, the, the first week where they came together in Arizona and stood out as just consistent contact. You know, even when he wasn't hitting home runs, this isn't a pure all or nothing slugger by any means. This is a guy with a really good feel to hit, smoke the ball in a line, hit all types of pitches. And I remember talking to uh, an evaluator when he was still at Cal. He said, you know, with Andrew Vaughn, I actually see him more as a 310 25 home run hitter than a 260 40 home run hitter i mean this is someone who really has an impressive field to hit can hit for average can send the ball a mile when he gets his pitch um against first base only uh, there was talk about making him a third baseman that that's not gonna happen but it seems like the offensive production will be more than enough to carry him at that position yeah it's going to have to be i mean that's that's his calling card hit hit the ball really hard and hit the ball really far i mean that's what you look for in that position, and I think that's what they expect he'll do. With Michael Kopech, what are the most recent updates you heard in terms of uh, what he looked like uh, getting on the mound and instructs and through the offseason as you made calls with the White Sox organization? He was a little rusty in instructs, but that's to be expected. He didn't do a whole lot there, but I know one scout who saw him touch 100 there. Um, it's you know, as to be expected. Things are going well off of Tommy John surgery. Number four is probably the most interesting prospect in the system from a couple of different angles, and that is Nick Madrigal. He was a top five pick out of Oregon State, uh, one of the best college players in the country. His first full season, he got up to AAA. Uh, you look at his uh, slash line across three levels, hit 311 with a 377 on base. Um, you know, even though he's a small guy, uh, he's listed at 5'7", he's probably a little shorter than that. Uh, still hit for some extra base pop, 27 doubles, five triples, four homers. Um, on the other hand, you know, so people see a really good hitter. There's a lot of debate about what the ceiling is. And I heard this out of the draft and I got this feedback from a scouting director again, just the other day, as we were putting together our top 100, he said, I don't think there's more than an everyday ceiling on Nick Madrigal, but he's ready right now. And I, that's still a really good player, an everyday second baseman who can hit, you know, one, two, or eight in your lineup, play good defense, steal some bases for you, and really set the table. That's a valuable player. So even though there's a debate, okay, is this guy really an all-star? It seems like most people are convinced he's at least an everyday middle infielder in the major leagues, and that's a good piece to have. Sure. I mean, that's, that's about right. I mean, what he, what he really doesn't have is power. Um, we put a 30 grade on it. I mean, he hit – uh, four home runs this year, two at Winston-Salem, one at Birmingham, one at Charlotte. And the one at Charlotte in 29 games at Charlotte with uh, the juiced baseballs they were playing with kind of tells you all you need to know about uh, what the future power looks For like. For those who don't know, Charlotte is extremely, extremely hitter-friendly and specifically power-friendly. Yes, it's a it's a kind of a Coors Field type situation of the East Coast in the uh, International League. Uh, but, you know, he, he hit one home run there and that was inside the park. 
So that's kind of what, what we're looking at here for that guy. But he's got the hit tool, and he's going to hit line drives. He's going to make stuff happen on the bases. He'll play a pretty decent second base, maybe better than that. Um, it's a good little player, but I, I don't think four, I, I could go any higher than four on him uh, as far as the uh, ranking in the top ten. It seems like just, again, speaking with evaluators, putting the system together, the, the hope, and again, not all four of these guys will hit their absolute ceilings. That's just not the way prospects work. It seems like the hope is Luis Robert is the perennial all-star. Andrew Vaughn and Michael Kopech are the really, really good players who, who make an all-star game or two or even three at their peaks. And Nick Matter goes the really solid everyday player. That's a pretty good top four that I think most teams would really like to have. Is that a fair way to assess their potential? Absolutely. I mean, that top four is really good. And it was a clear tier one with Robert, tier two with uh, Vaughn, Kopech, and Madrigal. Those top four are excellent players. Again, they'll all be in the top 100. They are top 100 prospects. They'll be in the top 100 again. Uh, There's a chance all four will be in the top 50 prospects in baseball. There is a very, very steep drop-off. I feel like you mentioned, you know, Robert is Tier 1, Vaughn, Kopech, and Madrigal is Tier 2. feels like the next group is kind of a Tier 5. I mean, guys who, they're interesting potentially, but they are nowhere near a Top 100 discussion and probably not a Top 200 or even Top 250 discussion. Um, you ended up going with some upside, uh, Matthew Thompson, Andrew Dahlquist, uh, two of their top picks in last year's draft, uh, Jonathan Stever, right-hander, who was – uh, kind of the pop-up guy in the White Sox system this past year. When assessing this 5-7 to seven group, really the 5-10 to 10 group, I mean, how interchangeable was it and how difficult was it? Um, it was pretty difficult. I mean, I went Thompson because he was picked, uh, you know, he was their second-round pick, and I'll, I'll trust they had that guy uh, pegged as a potential big league starter. I think we had him ranked pretty highly, too, out of the draft. Uh, Stever was a guy who... He could go either way, start or reliever, but he was probably their best pitcher in the minors this year. I'm not counting C since he graduated. Uh, Dahlquist was their third rounder and isn't quite the same caliber. Probably he had maybe higher floor, but lower ceiling than Stever or Thompson. And then you got down to Dunning, who's a wild card, or Dane Dunning at eight, who's a wild card because he's coming back from TJ as well. Rutherford is still, Blake Rutherford, I should say, the outfielder is still full of potential, but he hasn't really shown the power that you'd like to see develop from a corner outfielder. And then Luis Gonzalez had a little bit of a down year at Birmingham, but kind of turned it on late in the season, if I remember correctly. Yes, he did. Uh, and he still has some upside as well. I mean, that was really his, his second full season as a pro. He's still, he will be 23 years old this year, 24 years old this year. Yeah, so what went into the decision process? Because I think from the outside looking in, you see, you know, Dunning and Rutherford are guys with top 100 pedigree, uh, first round picks. Luis Gonzalez was a, a Team USA uh, contender for uh, when he was in college and, uh, you know, has made his way up uh, at a reasonable pace as well. What ultimately pushed you to ranking Thompson and Dahlquist and Stever above those three who are perhaps, you know, in a lot of cases a little higher up the ladder and have a little more pedigree? I think those guys uh, either have fewer warts or have shown fewer warts. Uh, The question with a guy like Rutherford has been the same for two or three years now. Just he's not going to play center field, it seems. Uh, Certainly not with Luis Robert in in place. And he has not shown power. He's got 
uh, seven, his career high for a season is seven home runs. He's got 19 home runs in 1,395 at-bats. That's not what you're looking at of a corner outfielder. What he's got on his side is youth. He's 22 years old, which turn 23 about a month into the season. And if he doesn't develop that power, it's profile problem. And I don't know what the baseballs are going to look like in AAA this year when he gets there. Maybe that will uh, cure all that ails him. But it's still, if, if not, it's a profile problem, and it's a really tricky one. Uh, there's, there's a little question that he's going to hit, but he needs to have that power. And I think every White Sox fan has heard that for about three years now. Uh, again, Gonzalez was a little bit of a, uh, you know, a nod to what he had done in previous years. It was a down year. There were some things that went into that, that, uh, you know, there were outside factors that went into that, but, um, I'm going for, I'm just giving him a mulligan on his 2019 season and hoping that the second half is more indicative of the player than the first half. Dane Dunning is is a tricky one. Uh, he missed the final two plus months, really, of the the 2018 season with an elbow sprain. Had Tommy John surgery in March of last year. Should be back in theory some point this season, uh, midway through. Although Tommy John surgeries are always tricky. There's always setbacks. You kind of just have to really take it day by day. How do you kind of assess him? Is are, is it just going off of what he showed at the end of 2018? I mean, how do you kind of deal with a guy like that? That's about right. You say you know you take what he'd shown before and you say, well, he didn't pitch all year. Here's what he looked like when he was healthy. And you put what his ceiling was when he was healthy in the middle of the other guys. So it's, it's not a whole lot you can do. You know, he's just, here's what he was. He's taken a year off. He's, you know, he's hit pause for a year and the White Sox hope this is what he looks like when he comes back. You know, one thing that stands out to me as I look at the White Sox top 10 is this is what we see teams who are on the rise building the right way do, that this system right now is not the deepest it's been. There's certainly a drop-off. But this looks a lot like, you know, year three of, hey, when the Braves started graduating the final wave of guys. They've gotten a lot of really talented players to the majors over the last three, four years. We mentioned them, you know, Moncada, Tim Anderson. Lucas Giolito, Eloy Jimenez, all guys who were at various points, you know, the numbers one, two, three, four, five prospects in the system. They're all in the majors. They've all started to figure things out. They've all started to perform. Uh, now we're seeing, you know, this potential next wave of four standouts coming up behind them. You know, this isn't a White Sox team now that needs, you know, eight of their top 13 prospects to hit. If they get two of these top four, I mean, in a perfect world, you get all four of them to hit, and that would make you a really, really good team. But even if two of them hit their ceilings and two of them only get halfway there, they're still in good shape because they've graduated so much talent. So to me, even though the White Sox have a very, very steep drop-off past prospect number four, I don't see it as an issue given what they've graduated to the majors the last two, three, four years. Nope. Prospects are there for two reasons. One, to contribute to your big league club directly, and two, to trade. So they will still have some guys to be able to trade if need be. Um, and I should point out here that, you know, the White Sox pro scouting department has done a fantastic job and it's starting to show, uh, Eloy Jimenez, that's a trade piece in left field. Leo Amoncada, that's a trade piece at third base. Uh, Lucas Giolito, that's a trade piece at the top of the rotation. Dylan Cease is a mid to back end starter. That's a trade, or that's a trade acquisition. Michael Kopech, trade acquisition. Reynaldo Lopez, trade acquisition. That's a pretty good job. And, uh, you know, to add all those guys and hit on them is to turn Chris Sale and Adam Eaton to, you know, what, at least like five or six regulars 
uh, for a team that should be on the fringes of contention, if not more than that, is a pretty darn good um, outcome for your pro scouts. Absolutely. You look at a lot of times uh, players are traded involving, you know, a standout and a lot of times you get a three or four prospect package back and one works, one you kind of go, eh, and the rest, nothing ever happens. It seems like the White Sox have, you know, they, they had some big pieces to trade and the early returns are, it looks like they, they hit on them with uh, Eaton and, and Jose Quintana as well, uh, as well as Chris Sale. So we'll see what happens, but you look at the big picture for the White Sox and, and you know, as we're doing these, these prospect podcasts, this is one of the more promising kind of big picture uh, things I see just in terms of, you know, where the team currently is, where the team has a chance to go. Um, but again, nothing is guaranteed and we have to see. I do feel like one of the keys is going to be the young pitching coming around. We saw Giolito take the jump. Uh, signing Dallas Keuchel and Gio Gonzalez certainly will help as well, giving them uh, two veteran lefties who are very good. Ronaldo Lopez and Dylan Cease have had struggles, although Cease, it's a shorter term, obviously, after making his debut last year. Uh, we need to see if Co- Michael Kopech uh, comes back from Tommy John's surgery, you know, everything intact in games. Carlos Rodon had Tommy John's surgery last May. You know, there's potential maybe he makes it back for the end of the year, but I think you kind of have to the default go with the default assumption that he's going to miss most, if not all, of the year. It seems to me like Kopech, you know, coming back healthy and reaching his ceiling, Cease and Lopez, who were top five prospects in the system at one point, making a jump like a Giolito did. It feels like to me that's going to be the key uh, in terms of the White Sox ability to really contend because I got to tell you, that lineup looks pretty darn good. Even if, you know, Luis Robert has an adjustment period, it's not like it's all on him. There's seven guys in this lineup that can hit. Yeah. I mean, this is exactly what you want a club on year two or three of a rebuild to look like it's everything that you wanted to click is right there it's starting to come to a head and it's ready to pop it it's good times if you're a, a white Sox fan i think are ahead just yeah, we shall see obviously you have to play the games uh, a lot of times the team that wins the offseason doesn't necessarily win during the season I, I think at this point the white Sox are certainly i uh, in contention for that title winning the off season. There's still some off season to go, so you can't quite crown them yet, but uh, they've had a great off season. Uh, again, the development of their young players last year and the steps a lot of them took last year was hugely promising. Uh, the 10 win jump was indicative of, of the type of leap that they could potentially make. And they make another 10 win jump. They're a winning ball club for the first time since 2012. If they can get that to 15, 16, 17 wins, maybe they're in wildcard contention. So it's going to be a really interesting year for the White Sox. Josh, we spent a lot of time talking about the positive, and deservedly so. This is a team that is in good position and has done a lot of good things. If this were to fall apart, because no rebuild is guaranteed to work, where would it go wrong? And what for you is going to be kind of the the X factor here in determining whether this works or not, and then the wins start to come in the major leagues where it really counts? I don't don't see a whole lot of holes right now. I mean, the thing you can say – maybe is that you know a guy like Moncada or a guy like Anderson or a guy like Giolito those were one year type blips like Giolito was certainly not this two years ago uh and then he he made the the developmental changes and became what he is does he revert at all does Tan Anderson revert from batting champion status does Moncada revert a little bit that's I think that's really the only downfall the only pitfall I could see I mean I really really like what they've done it's it's like I said it's a really good time to be a White Sox fan 
that you've, they've accumulated young talent at nearly every spot on the diamond uh, about and or have guys who are going to come up and place that young talent on the spots where they don't. So it's really just an admirable job they've done. Yeah, and I think going back to the farm system, you know, we mentioned Robert, Vaughn, Kopech, Madrigal. You know, Robert is going to open the year in the majors with AAA last year. Kopech has major league experience. Madrigal finished last year in AAA. He should take over as the White Sox second baseman during the year. Vaughn finished last year in high, should begin in AA, and in theory could be available to come up during the season as well. Because they have so much young talent in the majors and this top four is ready to ascend right now, I feel like it gives these other guys time. You know, we talk about the drop-off once you hit number five, and obviously that accelerates once you start getting into prospects number, you know, 15, 17, 21. But it gives a lot of these guys time to pop. You know, Matthew Thompson, Andrew Dahlquist, you know, the young arms that, that you ranked pretty highly. If they don't click this year, that's totally fine. The White Sox aren't, you know, dying for them to get up quickly. If Blake Rutherford and Dane Dunning, you know, it takes two more years, you know, for you know Rutherford to click or Dunning, you know, needs time to round back into form. It feels like it's okay. It feels like they have time for, you know, other guys to round into form or, or pop a little bit. And that's another place you want to be where you're not reliant on your number nine prospect being your number four starter. And if it doesn't work, having no options, it just feels like the White Sox were in a good place on a number of levels here. Yeah. I mean, I really don't know how many times I can say it. This, <laughs> this is an different ways of saying the same thing. They're in a good spot. An incredible job that they've done. They've put young potential stars at nearly every position and the positions that they don't have those young stars. They might be there sooner rather than later. Madrigal, Kopech, Robert, Vaughn are all should all be big pieces of this team's future and if not outside of Robert I mean if any one of those guys is needed to acquire you know some big name at the trade deadline well they have that ammo too they've got and they've spent the money on guys like Grandal and Encarnacion and Keichel to supplement their young core this is a really really good looking club and not just now but for a couple years in the future White Sox fans are certainly hoping that 2020 is in fact the start of uh, an extended run of contention. Uh, the White Sox haven't really had that. Um, they obviously won a World Series in 2005, uh, made the playoffs as the division champions three years later, but uh, the White Sox have not made back-to-back postseasons at any point in franchise history, which is kind of crazy considering they've been around since 1901. So the hope is uh, this is the group that can uh, help them do that and make uh, the postseason back-to-back years for the first time ever. Josh, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate your time and insight as always. Thank you very much. I'll be back for the Giants. We look forward to it. Well, everyone, that's another edition of the Baseball America Prospect Podcast. Go ahead and give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. For Josh Norris, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thank you for listening, everybody.